0: Good to see you all here this morning. Uh, we're noticing an interesting trend, um, just side note, that um, it seems like there are folks that are normally or have historically been 815 folks that are beginning to trickle into the 10 o'clock service, but then we're seeing people from the 10 o'clock service begin to trickle into 1145 service. I don't know what that means. Are we just sleeping in maybe more as a church? And then I started thinking, well, time's about to change. We're going to fall back and get an hour back, so maybe we'll see that trickle go back the other way. I don't know. Uh, but always... Always so thankful for those of you who get up early, um, whether that's uh, easy for you or not. You being here in this service um, allows for more room in the other services, um, though the 10 o'clock service is really close to being out of room, um, which is a a great thing, you know, a great problem to have, if you will. And so so just want to say thank you for those of you who who make it a point to get up early and come to this service. Who knows, maybe it's the Cowboys today and that's why you're here. But either way, (laughs) I'm glad you're here. Um, Just a quick announcement. We... um, let me go ahead and tell you, we'll be in Luke 10 this morning if you want to go ahead and turn there. So just a heads up, so you can be flipping there as you turn there. Um, a quick announcement, we have a, a Connect class coming up uh, in a couple weeks. So Connect class is how we um, do membership here as a church. We um, sit down with you. One of our elders will go through um, what we believe and how the church is set up and structured, how things work, where we're going, all those kinds of things, and then answer any questions you have about the church before you make a decision uh, to join as a member. And so... Um, That's coming up on October 15th during the 1145 service, so the last service of the day. Um, During the 1145 service, there will be a light lunch provided. Um, There's no obligation to join the church if you come to this. We really want to just get all the information out there in front of you so that you can pray and discern about whether or not God is calling you to join Solid Rock as a member. And so that is two weeks away. The way that you could let us know you want to be a part of that, if you grab the community card in front of you, This is how you get more involved in the community of the church. Um, On the top center, it says, I'd like more info. Just circle membership and then put your name, phone number, email address on there. We'll add you to that list so we'll have enough material printed out, but we'll also send you reminders in case there are last minute changes or those sorts of things. So if that's you, love for you to fill that out. Drop this in one of the brown boxes on your way out and we'll add you to the list. All right, so we are continuing with. Uh, the Desires of the Heart sermon series. If you haven't been here, this is a sermon series where we are going through the Bible, uh, looking at different idols uh, that we worship um, as God's creatures, things other than Him that we worship. And so I want to start with just a reminder that you and I were created to worship. That's what we were created to do. Uh, Genesis 1 puts it this way, that you and I were created to bear His image, which is another way of saying reflect the glory of God here on earth. That's what you and I were created to do, to worship him. And this morning, what I would you know, want to start with is this, that the idea of worship is really rooted in satisfaction. Satisfaction. That's not typically a word we associate with worship, like we associate singing and those kinds of things with worship. But satisfaction, I would propose, is, is really the root um, of the idea of worship. And here's what I, I mean by that, that Our souls are only fully satisfied, satisfied, fully satisfied, not temporarily satisfied, fully satisfied when we are looking to God for what He has done and who He is and what He says about us. So when we do that, um, what happens is He satisfies our every need, our every longing, our need for joy, our need for security, our need for purpose. He fills up those voids in our life when we're looking to Him. As that source of satisfaction, you might think of it this way, satisfaction um, is, the, is the idea of being content or happy or pleased. When we are finding our pleasures in God alone rather than in the things of this world, even good things, what happens is our souls are satisfied and we are content. It's, the, I would say, the essence of what it means to worship God. And nobody's even sang a song yet, right? John Piper says it this way, God is most glorified in you, When you are most satisfied in Him. You want to bring glory to God in your life? Then be satisfied in Him. And that that causes us or allows us to reflect His glory here on earth. So with that in mind, we're going to talk this morning about the idols of performance. performance Performance-driven idols. Okay? Performance-driven idols. Now, um, one of the temptations when we think about performance-driven idols is to, to automatically begin thinking about people besides ourselves, right? People who we know who are performance-driven, that person at work, that, that person who's in uh, management at work, or maybe like a, an athlete or a public icon, somebody who you know has just, you know, sacrificed everything to achieve greatness and popularity and accolades, and right? And so we think about those people most often, and, 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 and usually we think of ourselves last, if at all, when it comes to performance-driven idolatry. And so, I want to propose to you this this morning, that there are a lot of forms of purpose-driven idolatry. Let me just give you some examples, okay? So here's here's a version or a a type of performance-driven idol, seeking your validation or satisfaction in the applause of men. Seeking your validation or your satisfaction, in other words, you're not satisfied unless people are recognizing you and applauding you. That's a version of performance-driven idolatry. There's a, there's a spin-off of that that sometimes is really hard to diagnose because it's, it's finding your validation or satisfaction in your own applause. Applauding yourself. Right When they won't give me the applause, then I'll become my greatest fan and I'll applaud myself. Seeking your validation or satisfaction in accomplishing tasks. Seeking your validation or satisfaction in finding success in your career. Seeking your validation or satisfaction in achieving accolades. Seeking your validation or satisfaction in the performance of others. And these are all versions of performance-driven idolatry. and I wouldn't say that this is an exhaustive list, but just a way for us to begin thinking about performance-driven idolatry that you and I might start by looking at ourselves. Well, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10 this morning and, and look at a performance-driven idol. And, and as we do so, just, just a quick reminder of the difficulties of diagnosing performance-driven idols. To begin with, there's, there's lots of forms of it, different versions, right? So as I walk through that list, hopefully at some point you went, oh, well, that could be me. I didn't think about it, but that could be me, right? So that makes it difficult often to diagnose it. Second to that is that we all have tasks to do. We all have work to perform, right? I mean, we have jobs, we have households to manage. We have things to do to perform. In addition to that, it's noble and good and right to work hard, isn't it? Right? To be on time, to work hard, not to cut corners, not to cheat, but to be honest. To, right, to be a good employee is a noble and right and Christ-like thing. And so it makes it incredibly difficult to diagnose idols when, when most of us can justify it by, I'm just just working hard i'm just doing what god has asked me to do in my job and and not even realize that potentially there's an idol driving that work ethic the reason why you show up early the reason why you stay late the reason why you go over and above we're going to look at the story of mary and martha inviting jesus into their home starting in verse 38 now as they went on their way jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house so far so good and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching And the beginning of verse 40 says but Martha was distracted with much serving so two sisters one home one encounter with Jesus he's been invited into their home but two incredibly different responses right to the presence of Jesus. First of all, we've got Mary who sat at his feet, so her posture is such that she's interested in Jesus. She wants to receive from Jesus. And not only that, what, the way she's described is that she was listening to him. Now, in English, that may not be that big of a deal, but this is the Greek word, akuo, which means to listen with the intent of obeying. It's hearing somebody. You know the difference with your kiddos? There's a difference between them hearing you versus listening to you with the intent to obey. It's the idea of listening to instructions. You've got my attention. Okay, that's Mary in this story. She's postured to receive. She's a kuo listening to Jesus. She's receiving what he has as instructions for her that she might obey. Now, in contrast to that, we've got Martha who is distracted by many things. And that that idea of being distracted here is the idea of being drawn away, to draw away your attention or to draw away your heart. And what we're seeing in this story is now in the very same scene, the presence of Jesus, two sisters encounter the presence of Jesus. One is drawn to Jesus with this this intent and this desire to be satisfied in what he says, while the other has been drawn away from Jesus by what? her to-do list, right? That list of very important things that have to be done, right? Have to be done before we can all sit down and rest. we got to get these things done. And we see that to-do list has captured Martha's heart. And it's become more and more obvious as we move through this narrative. This rest of verse 40 says this. Here's how Martha responded. She went up to him, this is Jesus, and said... Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Now, when we think about right, this, the postures of their heart, what Martha has just done is she's trying to get Jesus to help her achieve her idols. Right? In this moment, what's drawing her heart away from worship is her to-do list. And rather than going to Jesus for who he is, she's going to Jesus for what he can give to her and saying, Jesus, will you help me achieve my idol? Now, those are my words, not hers, but you see that, right? Would you tell her to get off her duff and get into this kitchen and help me get this stuff done? Now, let's just bring this back to our own lives for a minute. I think a good litmus test for our own lives is our own prayer life. When we look at the things we ask of God, right? are we asking God more for his help or for his presence? Now, it's not wrong to ask God for help, is it? He he wants us to call out to him, to cry out to him for help. But when we look at the balance of things we pray about, is is it weighted towards, I'm asking mainly for God to help me, to do these things for me, versus asking for his presence? That's a pretty good litmus test. Do you ask more for his help or for his presence. In this moment, Martha is asking for his help, which is not a bad thing. But she's asking for his help in order to do what? To achieve her idol. Let's look at Jesus' response to her. But the Lord answered her. Martha, Martha. When things are repeated like that in, in this culture, in this language, that's, a, that's an affectionate thing. It's why we call out to God, Abba, Father. Martha, Martha. I don't sense that Jesus is angry with her. He's speaking to her like a daughter. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You've got a long to do list, and that long to do list is troubling you. It's a real, that's a really interesting word, okay? So, this is the idea this word troubled is the idea of being turbulent, so much so that you get other people stirred up. Okay? So you're not just inwardly struggling with something, but you begin to struggle in such a way that you invite other people into your struggle. I know, I know you know that person, and it's not you, right? The drama, right? This, they're just such in such turbulence and turmoil that they're not satisfied and happy unless everybody else is stirred up and in turbulence. That's the word Jesus uses to describe her heart. Martha, Martha, your heart's in turbulence, You're trying to get me stirred up. You're trying to get me on your bandwagon here. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is what? Necessary or needed. You could just add to that. One thing is necessary or needed for you to be satisfied right now. I see you're not satisfied. Right? You've invited me into your dissatisfaction. Matter of fact, you're trying to get me and your sister involved in your dissatisfaction, the fact that you cannot be satisfied, content, at rest unless all these things are done. and you're, you're inv- I see that, but there's only one thing necessary or needed to bring satisfaction to your life, and Mary has chosen it. She's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus is telling Martha, I will not answer your prayer right now. You're asking me to help you achieve your idol. Right now, you're more concerned about the things that you need to do rather than sitting in my presence. And now you're asking me to get your sister involved in your idolatry. I will not do that. She has chosen the better portion, the thing that actually satisfies and I will not answer this prayer. Now, Martha's version of performance-driven idolatry seems to be, from our observations, a to-do list. Okay? A to-do list. Now, you may know that person. You may be that person. Okay? So, here's the difficulty. Most of us have some version of a to-do list, right? Either it's in handwritten, or it's your day minder, or you've got an app for that. I use... Uh, The Handle app, that's the one we use here at the church for tasks. What's fun about the Handle app? um, I feel like I'm kind of promoing this app, but I will anyway. It's fun because you put your to-do list together, and when you check something off, it throws a party. The phone vibrates, it goes, and then confetti and balloons go up in the air on your screen. I'm like, yes, I'm excited, I got something done today. And I love to stop at the end of the day and just throw little parties for everything I got done today. And so we're... What we're not talking about is that it's sinful to have a to-do list. What we're talking about is when you begin to worship your to-do list. Well, I don't worship and sing songs to my to-do list. That's not how we define worship, is it? What we're talking about is not being content or satisfied until your to-do list is done. If if, if your satisfaction is contingent on your to-do list, your to-do list has become an idol. Now, this just happens to be her version of performance-driven idolatry. So let's walk through these different versions we've talked about this morning. And let me just like, encourage you to ask some really important questions. Why is this important? Well, here's why it's important. I mean, just from this one example, we see two results, two significant results um, by per- pursuing idolatry and performance. First of all, we miss out on what Jesus has for us. Right? She missed out on what Jesus had for her. But then second to that, and maybe even more importantly, is that we see that our idols begin to drive a wedge between us and Jesus and us and others. She's frustrated with her sister, no doubt. And it almost sounds like she's frustrated with Jesus for letting her sister get away with it. You see how that idol is driving a wedge between her and her sister and even her and Jesus? We miss out on what Jesus has for us. We become consumed and weighted down with worries. We allow tasks to trump relationships and drive wedges between us and the people we love. Listen to this one. We choose distractions of tasks over depth in relationships. We engage in performance-driven idolatry. We play into the hands of our enemy who seeks to steal from us, to destroy us, and to kill us. This This is the enemy's plan here in this story, is to kill Martha's relationship with Jesus and Martha's relationship with her sister. So let's talk about these different idols. Let's talk about seeking our validation and the applause of men. Here's some questions you might ask yourself Do you find yourself in the middle of a task thinking about how so and so will feel about your accomplishment of that task? Such that it's driving you to work harder, make sure you get it right. I just can't wait for so and so to see what I've done. Do you find yourself accomplishing tasks and then finding subtle ways to make sure that people notice? It newsflash, it's not really that subtle. I know it feels subtle, right? Does it crush you when you fail to meet somebody's expectations? Crush you, paralyze you. Does it strike fear in your heart to think about not meeting somebody else's expectations. Potentially, there could be a performance-driven idol in your heart. How about this? Seeking your validation and self applause Do you ever find yourself giving yourself a pep talk in the middle of a task about how much better you are than so-and-so? How much better you are at doing this than someone else doing the task? Do you, you ever pep talk yourself like that? I'm just really good at this. How about this? Are you incredibly hard on yourself when you don't measure up to your own expectations? Do you self-convict? Not Holy Spirit conviction, but self-convict. Beat yourself up. Run yourself into the ground. Do you ever reward yourself for your own hard work? I've been working hard all week, so now I'm going to give myself permission to do whatever. Okay, so potentially, right, there could be a performance-driven idol in your own heart, and you've you've come to that place where you enjoy your own applause and you self-validate. Is still a performance-driven idol. How about this? Seeking your validation in the accomplishment of tasks, do you struggle to be spontaneous or relational when there are things that need to be done? Like, like Martha here? We don't get an indication that Jesus had, had planned to be there, right? This was a spontaneous invitation. Jesus is in the house are you able to set tasks aside when things come up that are not on your, in your day minder, your planner? Are you able to go to bed and sleep at night when there are still things to be done? Or do you have to get all that stuff done before you can be restful? Do you keep a list and find joy and peace in marking things off the list? Almost like do you throw your own little party? Oh, I feel satisfied. I feel content, I feel pleased now that I got these things done. If so, potentially there could be a performance-driven idol. How about in success and career? Do you ever find yourself justifying the neglect of your family for the sake of getting one more thing done at work? Do you ever find yourself justifying your obsessive busyness by saying, ah, this is just a season? It may be just a season, but seasons come to an end. They change, right? They only last for a couple months. Maybe it is a season, but whenever that season turns into a year, which turns into a lifestyle, right? Potentially, there's a performance-driven idol driving you to work so hard, to be there early, to stay late, to get things done. How about this, accolades, achieving accolades. This could be at work. It also could be in your hobbies. It could be in a lot of different forms. But do you ever sacrifice your own health or your time with those whom you love the most in order to achieve status, accomplishments, or acknowledgment? Think about that. Do you self-validate by reminding yourself what you have accomplished and how so-and-so couldn't have done it as good or as fast as you? And you know, sometimes our performance-driven idols, like, we, we know what's happening and we just keep it in our own head. We just self-validate. We plot ourselves. We pat ourselves on the back. We reward ourselves for our performance. This, this next one is, is potentially going to land closer to home. Um, seeking our validation in the performance of others. So what oftentimes happens for us as adults is that we get to a certain place in our life and we realize, oh, I've kind of hit the ceiling on what I can accomplish. And so we give up trying to self-achieve. So then potentially what could happen is we take those, that idolatry and we point it towards somebody else. Okay? Um, it could be a famous person. It could be a sports athlete, something like that. But most often it's people closer to us. Like our spouse or our children, right? Seeking your validation and satisfaction in the performance of your children is idolatry. Here's some questions. When your children fail, and they will fail, they do fail. When they fail, do you grieve for them and fight to remind them of who they are? Or do you grieve for yourself? And get angry with them and fight against them. Right? Do you grieve for your children and fight against this this sense of performance drivenness in their own lives and remind them that they're loved and remind them that they're yours and remind them of who they are? And so do you grieve for them and fight against false identity? Or do you grieve for yourself and fight against them? I think this probably shows up most often in discipline, um, but it can show up in a lot of ways. Do you, do you make your children's disobedience and or failures about you? In other words, do you say things like, do you realize how you made me feel? I am sick and tired of. Let me ask you, what does you being sick and tired have to do with their disobedience or obedience? I'm sick and tired of the way you don't ever listen to me. How come that's not about just simply the fact that they don't listen to authority? Why does it have to be about you? When we address our children's disobedience, it should be about them. I'm not saying don't discipline your children. Make sure it's about them and not about you and how they made you feel. Okay? It's good for our children to know that their decisions impact others. That's fine. But if every act of discipline is about how they hurt you, how they betrayed you, how they made you feel, now all of a sudden their disobedience is more about you. And their inability to perform to your standard now right, is is being weighed on them, and and that is a performance-driven idol, and they feel the burden of that. That crushes children. Your children can never make you happy. Okay, Now remember when you were a child, You may have had great parents, or you may have had horrible parents, or somewhere in between. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you could not make your parents happy. Some of you wore yourselves out trying to do it, and others of you realized this early on and just gave up and went the other way. doesn't matter. If you're the the prodigal son who ran or the obedient son who stayed, in the end, you can't earn your parents' favor. You can't. They have to give that to you as a gift. That's a reflection of God's relationship with us. You could not make your parents happy. Why in the world do you put the burden and pressure on your own children to try to satisfy you and make you happy? They can't do it. They can't. Now, I'm just going to encourage you, especially in your parenting, if you're, if you're talking about your children, about their disobedience, let's, let's first and foremost make it about them and the relationship with God. Right? Not about us, about them and, and God. Now, these are just a few examples of the way performance-driven idolatry can play out in our lives. And we look at Martha's example here, and I think on some level we can, probably most of us, connect or relate, right? To some version of what Martha's struggling with here. But let's keep in mind, here's the thing, that the results are the same. The results are the same. We miss out on what Jesus has for us, and we allow our idols to become a wedge between our relationships with one another and our relationship with him. The results are the same, whether it's between you and your children, you and a sibling, you and your parents, you and a coworker, right? Your relationship with God, right? It gets disrupted when we put anything between us and him. Now, I'm going to offer something else to you this morning, just a little tidbit of help. Um, One of the things that God does, and we saw this last week, he tests us to, to refine the idols out of our lives. And one of the ways that God tests us is he puts something between you and your idol. And it's a good way of knowing that you found an idol in your life. When God puts something between you and your idol, you can't get it or achieve it, and all of a sudden you're angry, you're discontent, and you're dissatisfied. God just puts one little thing in the way. And all of a sudden our prayer life becomes what? God, would you move that? Would you get my sister off her tail? Would you get that out of my way? And you find that... That's the theme of your prayer, and that's the heart attitude of your prayer. What you're doing is you're doing what Martha did, and you're saying, Jesus, would you help me achieve my idol? To which Jesus will respond every time with love and patience and grace, no. I will not help you worship something else. I won't. You want to guarantee a no from God in your, on one of your prayers. Ask God to help you achieve an idol, and he'll say no every time. In love and patience, Martha, Martha, Right? No, I won't help you achieve that. I won't. I want to end with just a a quick example from uh, New Testament figures of somebody who was driven by performance. I think the Apostle Paul would be a great example. He actually admits it in Philippians 3. Philippians 3, the first six verses, Paul talks about his accolades, how he was a Hebrew among Hebrews, he was a Pharisee, he was, he was a legalist, he was circumcised on the right day, he comes from the right family, he mentions all of his accolades and accomplishments, and the thing that, things that used to drive him, and then verse 7 and 8, he begins to shift and say what? Whatever used to be a gain in my life, I now consider a loss. Whatever used to drive me in my life, that, that used to, to validate myself with, whatever used to bring satisfaction to my life, I actually now consider those things as loss compared to what? Knowing Jesus. And he goes on to call those things in his life rubbish or dung or poopy. Think about that. He's not even talking about the list of mistakes he's made. He's talking about all the good things he's accomplished. And he calls these things Feces, dung, rubbish, trash. Think about that. All these idols that used to bring me temporary joy and satisfaction and validation, I actually consider them now as loss. I've let go of those things because of why? Because I found something better in Jesus. And then he'll go on to explain. Here's what I found in Jesus. A righteousness that doesn't come by my own work, by my own accomplishments, but a righteousness that you can only get by faith. And then he encourages us in our life pursuits. In verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do is I forget what lies behind. I let go of what lies behind. I drop those idols in my life, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Well, what lies ahead, Paul? I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what what matters to me now. That's where my satisfaction is. I'm not satisfied unless I'm pursuing Jesus. I know it. If I turn back to those things for even a moment, my heart is going to well up with dissatisfaction. My worship is going to shift from Jesus back to these things. So therefore, those things, they're, 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 they're dung, they're feces, they're garbage to me. I let go of finding my validation in what I can accomplish for myself. Paul discovered that all of his accolades would never add up to enough righteousness for him to stand before God. So Paul boiled all of life down to this. His ultimate goal is my, my goal in life to be respected by men or accepted by God. That's all of life for Paul. I've already accomplished the accepted by men part. It's the first six verses of chapter three. That stuff is junk to me now. All of life boiled down to this. Is my goal in life to stand respected by men or accepted by God? Let me just land with this question. What about you? Which is more important to you, to be respected by men or accepted by God? What's driving you? Where's your validation coming from? More importantly, where is your satisfaction? What is it rooted in? Is the presence of Jesus in your life alone enough? Or have you been like Martha trying to add stuff to that, getting stuff done, earning accolades, earning rewards, earning the respect of others? Do you find yourself asking God to do more for you rather than to provide his presence in your life? Is your prayer life more about Jesus helping you accomplish your idols versus providing his presence? I want to land there. I'm going to just lead us in a time of prayer this morning. I don't know how maybe God has spoken to you. Um, There's some different ways you can respond this morning. You could stay seated and just maybe just keep journaling some things down that you want to write down. God's speaking to you this morning. You may want to stand and sing and express um, your heart to God through song. You can do that. You may want to grab a prayer partner. And Have somebody just pray with you and listen to you, and, and, and that's completely um, appropriate in this time to move around the room. We'll have prayer partners at the front and back. Um, however God has spoken to you, I want to encourage you to respond to that this morning. And I just want to say to, 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 to you today, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and one of those reasons why you're not a Christian is you feel like the church is full of hypocrites, I would say to you, um, you're right, you caught us Um, that's why we sing about Jesus dying for hypocrites and loving them because we need it we need his mercy and grace and so we want to invite you to become like us um, someone saved by Jesus someone who can't be good on their own strength Um, and the way you do that is by simply coming to Jesus on your own and saying I trust in you and you alone I'm ready to let go of everything else and trust in you so that's you this morning Um, our prayer partners will be honored to talk with you about becoming a Christian and to pray with you so I will invite the worship team up Uh, let's pray together Um, father thank you for um, just such a, a vivid example this morning um, of what performance-driven idolatry looks like. Um, it's so easy for us, God, to think about other people that we know who seem to be performance-driven, but God, it's, it's really painful for us to look at ourselves. This morning, God, I pray that you would, God, begin to stir in each of our hearts. That God, whatever you've brought to our minds this morning, whatever you've spoken to us, you wouldn't allow us to quickly dismiss it. But rather than, God, you would, you would call us into a wrestling this morning. That, God, we wouldn't be satisfied until we have given up our idols. So, Father, this morning, we want to ask for your Holy Spirit to move in this room, to move in our hearts. Guide us as we respond. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus.